you know, or we, we kind of mentioned like typically how people approach this book, I'm going to move this, uh, is the, uh, very much like you might see in a children's curriculum where we would say, you know, don't be like Jonah. Because Jonah was disobedient to God. God said, go to Nineveh, preach judgment to them. And Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He disobeyed. He ran away from God. We say, little kids, don't do that. Because you might end up in the belly of a whale. And we say, so the moral of the story is, obey God. Don't be like Jonah. And therefore, you won't end up and, you know, in a bad situation. And that's very motivating, you know, to say if you do bad things, you disobey God, you don't do what he says, that bad things are going to happen to you. And a lot of people work hard to do what they would consider the right things because they are afraid that God might strike them with a lightning bolt or something. The problem with this is, this isn't a story about how Jonah... Uh, disobeyed God, and so he had some consequences, and then he all of a sudden came, you know, came to his senses in the belly of the whale and says, okay, God, I will do what you want, and he repents, and he goes to the Ninevites, and they hear him preach judgment. They repent. They turn back to God happily ever after, right? No. Because the story ends with Jonah furious, angry, pouting. And it leaves us there with him there. So there's something else going on in this story. This simple, small story uh, teaches us a lot about God, a lot about ourselves. And there's some huge lessons in here. But last week, we, we kind of answered one of the, we began answering the question. Because I think this is the key to this idea of, of what's really going on in this book is why did Jonah run? Why did he take up and not just, he fled from the presence of God, but he left and he went as far as he could think possible in the other direction of what God had told him to go. Why? It was, I mentioned the story last week of my brother who uh, was starting my mom's car before he had his driver's license, and he was revving the engine, y'all remember this? And he released the clutch, and the car sped down the driveway and ran into our laundry room. And my brother jumps out of the car and runs down the road. It's the weirdest thing ever. And I had this question, why did he run down the road? I still to say, not quite figured it out. Why he jumped out of the car and ran down the road. I mean, you know, who knows? And, and so very similar here, we, we ask the question, why did Jonah run? And I believe the reason Jonah ran, we mentioned last week, is ultimately he, in his deepest sense, didn't believe, didn't trust in the goodness of God, that God might might have might have a plan, might have a good idea, even though what he's calling you to might seem insane. But he also didn't see his need and then also didn't see the graciousness and goodness of God. And so he ran. But there's a deeper sense, I think. And I want to kind of dig in here. And this is where the mirror is going to kind of come up in front of us. Is Jonah ran 
okay? Not just because he was a bad guy. The reason he ran is because he was actually serving other gods besides God. We call that idolatry. And we see this in the, actually the very central verse in this whole book. Okay? Verse 8 of chapter 2. Okay? Right in the middle of that chapter, 24 verses before it, 23 right after it, it says this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love or covenant love or mercy from God. So at the very center of this book, it says those who chase after vain idols miss out on God's grace. And so this book isn't about a guy who disobeyed, repented, and it was all happily ever after. It's actually a book about Jonah and his idols. So what is an idol? So did Jonah, you know, have like a a pocket statue? Because we think of idols, right? And and, uh, we have some friends who served in Thailand. They have an image there. This normally what we think of is idolatry is people go to like a temple and there's like a statue and they they bow down they have incense and they give food and, and all these different things uh and that's what we normally think of when we think of idolatry right well idolatry is actually way more common way more mundane and regular than you would ever imagine so what is so martin luther gives us a clue to this he says to whatever we look for any good thing, for any refuge in, in every need, that is meant by what he means as God. To whatever you give your heart and trust your being, that, I say, is really your God. So an, an idol is looking to, to, to anything. Excuse me, where am I at here? An idol is looking at your own wisdom, your own competence, or some created thing to provide power, approval, comfort, security that only God can provide. In other words, it's putting anything before God. It's been said that to break any of the Ten Commandments, you first have to break the first one. Have no gods before me. And so it's putting anything in, in, in place of or in front of, in your heart, in your life, before God. God. And so there's all kinds of idols. You might call, you might say personal idols. Romance, family, money, power, achievement, health, fitness, beauty. There's religious idols. Okay? Doctrinal truth, moral goodness, your worship style. There's all kinds of religious idols. Intellectual idols, like so ideologies, my own way of thinking, whether you're conservative or a liberal or whatever, or a patriot or a ram. Cultural idols, military power, technological progress, family, hard work, moral uh, duty, uh, moral virtue, individual freedom, self-discovery, personal affluence. So idols can touch us in any and all these different ways. And we see that there's some specific ways that, that Jonah reveals his idols to us. And so, let's, so I, want, I want to take a look today at what was it really that drove Jonah to head for Tarshish, the other side of the world. 
what would make a man whose life is supposed to be devoted to God, supposed to be in service to him as a prophet, a, a man of, uh, who's a part of God's people, to run away from God's presence? What causes us to do that? What causes you to do that? Well, let's see what, we, what happens with him. Okay? Jonah ran because of idolatry. And first we see that Jonah wanted to preserve his nation. Jonah wanted to preserve his nation. Jonah was a good old-fashioned patriotic Jew. He loved his country. He served his country. And, and, And so when God would say, go help the Ninevites, that would be like telling us to go help the Taliban or something. And so it just didn't register because his patriotism, his nationalism said, heck no, I'm not helping them. And I felt a little bit of this. We just, y'all know, we just went out of the country to Ireland. And lovely place, let me tell you. I, we really, but all the whole time, I'm having to check myself because I'm like, this is all backwards. This is the wrong side of the road. We drive on the right side of the road, literally, but in my mind, figuratively. This, you know, these lanes aren't big enough for cars. Or the light switches down to turn it on. It's supposed to be up. And you go to flush the toilet, and it's on the wrong side. I mean, all these different things. And every, I'm having to constantly check myself and say, no, it's okay that it's different. You know, but did you just have a little bit of that, I'm American, you should bow to me, you know, we do things the right way, instead of saying no, but you know, it's that, that, that sense of, you know, and you don't, you really get that sense of, I'm an American, you're not, when you're going through customs, you know what I mean? So when we were coming, we were actually, it's in Dublin, they actually do a pre-check, and everybody's all, all these people that are not citizens of the U.S. are all lined up. And here we go, right up to the front of the line, you know, I'm an American, yeah. Red, white, blue. But we see him, the same thing. Jonah wanted to serve his nation, okay? So Jonah has been led by God to be a prophet. He's, called, he's taken this call of, of ministry to be a prophet. And, and, and actually, we see he is very much devoted to being a prophet. However, his prophecy is really more devoted to his nation than it may be to God. Because we see him prophesy, and his prophecy is all in spite of the king's wickedness. Look with me in um, uh, 2 Kings 14, if you will. And I, I, just for time, I'm just going to read off the screen. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, excuse me, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. Okay? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made in Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, According to the word of the Lord, the, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Heard of that guy. 
So here he is. He's all about his nation. God's going to restore the borders. Woohoo! Country. USA. In this case, Israel. Northern Israel. Whatever. And so, so uh, one guy put it this way. Jonah appears to have deliberately ignored the king's wrongdoings in his nationalistic zeal to build up his country's power and influence. So instead of serving God, Jonah flees from the presence of God as a result of his cultural, political idol here. So he's, you know, this, there's, um, and so we see at the end of the book, we're going to get more in depth of this, there's part of the reason at the end, very end of the book it says, verse 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So he, he was called to, to these Ninevites, didn't want to go, but finally he does go, and he preaches to them judgment. And they repent. They, they turn back. They turn away from their wicked ways. And you should be, it should be like, praise God. Instead, we see him say, he was, ex- he was exceedingly angry, just pleased, and he was angry. So, in other words, Jonah would rather see a nation full of men, women, children, and maybe even animals, little, little puppies, who knows? He would rather see all that wiped out instead of them come to God's mercy. What would motivate us to be there? To, to look at another nation, another culture, another race, and say, I would rather them be wiped out. You know, it's irony in, in this that, that uh, the nation that Jonah so loved, had put his heart in so much, was actually, y'all remember, a gift from God? Yeah? There's irony there, right? He's, like, he's received this nation, and, and the same here with maybe us here in America, you know, the, the very fact we have the liberties and the freedom to worship this morning and, to do, and, and whatever, it is a gift from God. And to use that to look down on or to reject other peoples, other cultures, other nations, it, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, so what Jonah is doing there, he's saying, thanks for the gift. I don't need you, giver. I'm going to keep protecting the gift, right? Okay, secondly, so he didn't just want to preserve his nation. He wanted to preserve his ministry. Uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, good, great Scottish Presbyterian preacher, he points out wisely that uh, one of the reasons he believes Jonah re- fled from God, that he f- feared losing his position and reputation. He's a prophet. He's a prophet of North. He has a position. He has a, a reputation. He has a ministry. He has a, a, a role in society. He has all these things. He has a good job, so to speak. And, and so for him to go to, to Nineveh would risk all of that. And we've already mentioned Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And they were the enemy of God's people. I mean, we talked about, and they were wicked people. We mentioned last week how, that as, as far as 
ancient cultures go, the Assyrian culture, where its capital was Nineveh, was one of the most wicked, uh, cruel nations in, in, in ancient history. It's hard to find any that were any less, that were more cruel and, and diabolical than the Ninevites. And so to go to them, he would be risking his own reputation. So uh, Ferguson goes on to say, what Jonah found so deeply disturbing was that God was asking him to sacrifice his reputation and for the sake of these Ninevites, these Gentile dogs who deserve neither mercy nor grace from God or from Jonah. And it's easy for us to say, Jonah, like, seriously, God called you to do it. But how many of us, let me, let just, let's just let me ask you, have you ever not said something about your faith in Jesus when there was an opportunity with your neighbor or friend, classmate? You, you just didn't say anything because you were a little afraid to look stupid. I'm raising my hand. Y'all don't have to. It's happened to me. Actually, it happened to me this morning. Went to the store to get some coffee cups and some batteries for our little microphones. And the lady was like, so what's your plans for today? So, oh, I think there's Super Bowl later. <laughs> no, and I should have said, I'm, I'm going to worship a living God who loves me. I'm going to watch, worship my Heavenly Father. Isn't that cool? You should get off next Sunday and join us. No. We do it, don't we? He was, he was worried about his reputation, his ministry. So, we have to admit here, we're a little bit more like Jonah than we thought. It's easy to say, I just don't be like that guy. Here's the irony. Jonah's very ministry is to be serving God through prophesying about the greatness of and goodness of God. His, that's what his very ministry, his reputation is supposedly built on. Yet he, he's more worried about how he looks than what God has called him to. Okay, thirdly, Jonah wanted to preserve his righteousness. So Jonah, prophet of God. And here's the thing, a successful one at that, right? Think about it. If you were a prophet in, in ancient Israel... According to the Old Testament laws, to be a prophet, if you prophesied, it had to be true. It had to come true. That's a high-stakes game, right? Because if, you, if it didn't come true, you were to be stoned to death, right? So palm readers, all that stuff, people weren't messing around with that too much, you know, if the, if, if the law was being applied, which... We're not really sure if it ever was. But so here's Jonah, and he has prophesied, and as we saw in uh, Kings 14, 2 Kings 14, is that he prophesied, and it came true. He's awesome. He's, he's, a, he's a bona fide prophet of God. He is a righteous man. He's a, a good guy. He's one of the good guys, as you might say. Okay? And, and, and Jonah believed that being an Israelite uh, and, and being of an Israel made him a righteous person. And so 
And even as wicked as the northern kingdom had become, in his mind at least, they could never be as bad as those Ninevites. And we do that, don't we? We talked about this last week. We are, we are just professionals at finding other people that are worse than we are. So we all admit, oh sure, I've got problems, I've, I've got sins, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> We're so good at that. We find it. We'll find somebody. Has somebody ever come to you and said, hey, you did this wrong or uh, you, this, was, this offended me, and what do you say? But you. You ever say that? Somebody says, hey, you, you, know, this, you said this, and it really offended me, whatever. And what do I immediately say is, well, but you do this. What are you doing? I'm saying, because you did this, it makes my doing what I did seem okay somehow to me. And that's what's going on with Jonah here. Jonah possessed a moral, spiritual superiority, a self-righteousness that caused him to not be so righteous after all. Right? Instead of being righteous, he ends up being the one running from God. And we're going to talk more about this as we move through this, this book. But we have to be really careful about our righteousness. And what do I mean by righteousness? Righteousness, yes, it could be doing good deeds, going to church, helping people, those kind of things. But righteousness can be just any old thing. You know that, right? Righteousness could be which way the, the switch should flip when you turn the lights on. Should it be up or down? Um, it sh- could be what side of the car we drive on. Your righteousness could be which team should win the Super Bowl. I really hope not, but it's there. It could be how well you dress, how clean your house is, how well behaved your kids are, or where they go to school, uh, how, you, wh- how you worship. How many times you have communion or how you would sing songs you sing or is, you know, all these all kinds of things can become our rightness. What we use to make ourselves feel okay and just. And Jonah was there. Okay, here's the thing. Jonah. In in trying to be righteous on his own, has now rejected and spurned the God, thus making himself worse, as we're going to see. There's irony all through this book. It ends up being that Jonah ends up making himself worse, at least according to the narrative of this story, than the sailors, by the way, and the Ninevites. Because the sailors, when he goes, he ends up on this boat, we'll we'll read later, okay? He goes, he gets on this boat, a horrible storm comes, and... Uh, the, the, the sailors, it says, repent. They turn to God, and he does not. He just says, throw me overboard. I'd rather die than, than, than repent. And then he goes to Nineveh. Nineveh of all places. We've got we to read this with, with those eyes. This, he, he goes, let's put it this way. He goes to the Taliban. He goes to Al-Qaeda. They repent. He does not. Holding our righteousness can can cause us and and can put us in a place way farther from God than we could ever imagine. So, 
Let's, let's take some takeaways here. Hey, first of all, as we conclude, first of all, like he said, we got to say we are Jonah. We are Jonah. We can look at a story like this and say, that guy's an idiot. Why would he do these things? And let me tell you, we do it. We don't, we don't always board a ship for another country. But we, we flee from the presence of God all the time because of the idols in our hearts. And uh, one guy said this. I'm not even try to pronounce his name. He says, to know Jonah is to love him. And the reason we love him is because he's so much like us in our response to God. We are Jonah. He, he, what this story does is it throws a mirror up. It should. And we should see ourselves. Learning to identify with Jonah is our key to the meaning of this story. Okay? We're going to see this as we go at the very end. It's very much a story, a Jewish story, which tells a story and leaves a cliffhanger at the end, which basically says, so what are you going to do? So we are Jonah. And so here, this, what we need to do in response to this is begin to ask ourselves, what are the idols in my own heart? What are the things in my life that I put up above God? How do we discover that? So you can ask questions like, what are my greatest fears? What are my greatest dreams? You could ask something like, if I lost that, I would rather die. If this wasn't in my life, I would rather die. Or if I don't get that, I would rather die. That's an idol. Or I'd want to die. That, is, that could be potentially an idol. Here, let me tell you something. We're, we're trying to get back into our rhythm of doing uh, our, what we call our DNA groups. Let me tell you, DNA groups are an amazing tool for us to bring other people into our lives. Because sometimes, like Jonah here, the very idols are the things that blind us. His very idol of self-righteousness blinded him to see his own idols. Does that make sense? So we need other people. We need to invite other people into our lives, into genuine conversations, so where they might suggest, hey, Jonah, you know, this might be an idol. <laughs> right? And we get into God's Word together. We begin to explore, what, where is my heart really going? Okay? And so we're starting DNAs, hopefully, very soon. Hal's got one. It's going to be on Thursdays right here, I think, at the clubhouse. We're trying to start one, probably a Thursday night with guys, maybe a Saturday night, a Saturday morning one. The Gail has one. I'm not sure what Amanda's doing. But regardless, we're trying to get them going. Why? Because that, that is probably one of the best places for genuine heart conversations can occur. Where we can begin to talk about these things. In, a, in, a, in an environment of grace, though. Because we realize we're Jonah. We need God's mercy. Secondly, um, we need to begin to destroy those idols. How do you do that? Because this could be really guilt-ridden right now. I could be like, just don't do it. Just throw down your idols. Throw them, cast them down before God, you know. And you, there's stories like that, you know. And I remember like Christian camp, kids would bring their, you know, their non-Christian CDs and stuff and throw them into a fire kind of thing or whatever. Cool. That, but that's, that's not the best way to do it. 
I love the idea of what a guy named Thomas Chalmers, he was a, a Puritan, he, um, he had a sermon, famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And what that means is the, the power of something greater in our hearts to push out what's not good. So if I ask you a question, uh, how, to get, how do you get air out of a glass? Anybody? You put a, you put a suction, a powerful suction vacuum cleaner on it, and it has this immense, huge power, and you've started to suck out the air. What's going to happen to that glass? It's going to shatter. Or if you just turn off the suction, guess what happens? Air goes right back in, right? And that's what we do. We try to, like, manage our sin, right? manage our idols. As soon as you pull one out, it's like, there's another one. And you feel like uh, the gopher machine at the gopher game. Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-gopher or whatever, right? You hit one, and there's another. And you feel like you're doing this. And then some of us are like, screw it. I'm done. I'm done with this game. And we just kind of give up. So how do you get air out of a cup? Pour some water in, something better, some Guinness. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. I was a scenario, sorry, right? It doesn't matter, right? But you, put something better in there. And so that's, that, that is what this book is about. It's about God showing Jonah, hey, there's something better. I'm, a, I'm an amazing, gracious God who's going to rescue you when you're so unrest. Should, he should have left him in the water, in the belly of this fish. He should have left the Ninevites to destroy themselves and, uh, you know, to just go whatever. Should have just wiped them out. But God's goodness and grace, he's showing us something so much better, so much uh, more beautiful than these vain idols. And this is why in, in uh, Jeremiah 2.13 it says, it says, you have forsaken the fountain of living water. If you go out into the desert... To dig your own wells, wells that can't hold water. It's an amazing picture. That's the picture that's going on here. Jonah is out there digging. He's digging, and it rains a little, and there's a little bit of muddy water in the bottom. So, in other words, the wells that we dig do hold a little water. It's not very good water, and it doesn't last. He says, we turn from the fountain of living water. So... We need to discover our idols, and we need to begin to, to remove those by the power of a greater affection, a, a greater goodness. And then lastly, just to realize that God uses broken, messed up people. You think, God can't use me. But if he could use a guy like Jonah, he can use you too. And he's good in that. So let's pray. And by, by the way, let me just close with this and say, cheer up. You're 